This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. J.J. Watt in the backfield. J.J. Watt, baby. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know what? Not every single podcast am I going to bring the energy, the intensity, the urgency. Maybe I'll just start this episode of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, with some serious disdain. How about that? Paulie podcast over there. Danny Sarek. How about Darren Urban? Hell of a start, Paul. And uh, you know what, though? When you stink and have come off your 11th loss in 12 games against Sean McVay, who, by the way, who anointed him America's coach? Don't make me go into that rant again because it wasn't that long after their latest loss to the Rams where I saw him in his stinking soup commercial up there at a podium doing his coaching up of America act, which we don't need. And now you're going against the Carolina team. Everybody now that the Cardinals have not beaten since the 2008 playoffs. So you know what? There's no room for you know the happy-go-lucky uh, Paulie Pencilneck over here. And I'll just reiterate what I said after the game. Maybe half seriously, maybe Half-jokingly, I'd cut a guy just for the sake of cutting a guy after that loss and the manner in which you lost, honestly. And I think that guy was Deontay Thompson. <laughs> Less than an hour ago before the recording to this, that guy, Deontay Thompson, just got cut. Did he, cross my mind. He was the guy who failed on the punt block. Now... There's a lot more blame to go along around. It's not just the Cardinals offense that has been starting slow. you got to realize, Danny, and I know you do, that the Cardinals defense in each and every game this season has allowed a scoring drive on the first three possessions of the game by the opponent. So this is team-wide, locker room-wide. Although if you're going to send a message in the NFL, usually it revolves around job security, mission accomplished. Hopefully. Yeah, this is absolutely a complimentary football issue. Um, I don't know how much we can put on special teams, considering that was the only part of the team that put up any points on the board against the Rams. Um, but you're right. This is not just an offense problem. This is defense as well and the slow start. And when you look at the schedule, these are teams that are very prolific. They are offense heavy. And the defense has to be good enough to keep them off the board. I do think your defense, to an extent, is giving you what you expected. We we knew this defense was not going to be a, a top five, top ten defense, um, perform maybe as well as they did last year. You entered this season knowing the defense was going to have to do just enough, hold off your opponents just enough so the offense can put up 30-plus points on the board. The offense is dropping the ball. So... While I agree with you that the slow start on defense is real, there are absolutely areas to work on. I think for the most part, the defense has been giving you, at least this last week, what you kind of needed from it, which was just enough. It's really the offense that needs to put you over to win games, and that has not been happening. I guess, but, you know, 
the only thing I'd say about that in terms of the defense would be a lot of the mistakes haven't been necessarily because of a lack of talent. There have been failings of the defense in terms of alignment and assignment and how you're fitting things. You know, when Cooper Cup is racing to the end zone on a, on a jet sweep and more than half the defenders no one are, even sees him. are looking at the wrong sideline. Just stuff like that. I mean, it shouldn't be a shocker. It shouldn't be a surprise that Cooper Cup just got a jet sweep. So to me, it's akin to a Tyreek Hill. Last time the Cardinals played the Chiefs when they had Tyreek Hill was a few years ago. And every time Tyreek Hill went in motion or went on a jet sweep of any sort, the entire defense was pointing at number 10. To me, that should have been the same deal against Cooper Cup. And it wasn't. No, I agree. I think fundamentally, too, tackling was still an issue. We saw a lot of defenders chasing so I agree. There's definitely I'm not I'm not sitting here saying the defense played really well and it was all the offense. I'm just saying I don't know, I guess maybe the the expectations of the defense, it's not Sure, absolutely. And, and I totally agree with that. I, e- even the analytics coming like DVOA before the season started where the Cardinals ranked 6th in overall defense in terms of their analytic ranking and rating a year ago, they had the Cardinals projected as 28th this year. So you're right, there weren't a lot of believers or expectations in, in, in the Cardinals' defense. I guess when I look at, for example, the Raiders' decimated offensive line, the Rams' banged-up offensive line, I, I expected a little bit more, especially all those chunk plays by the Rams over the first three quarters. What did I tell you on this podcast last week, Paul? Didn't I say that? Or maybe it was simply on the radio before the game where I said, I'm not getting sucked back into the, hey, the other team's got injuries and the Cardinals can take some advantage. Because we saw it last year, just – usually doesn't happen unfortunately in those situations and look if you would have told me that you know crazy fumble uh recovery aside i mean and that did make a big difference when and where it happened um if you would have told me they were going to hold the rams at 20 points and cooper cup was only going to have four catches and yeah he had the jet sweep but he had four catches and you uh, ran 81 plays? I would have been totally okay with that defensive performance. Led in time of possession by what, I mean, six minutes? Was I that mean, the difference? Even even in the first half, yeah, they gave up some yards, but they only gave up the one touchdown early. Yeah. So I don't – coming off of this game, you're not wrong. They've had slow starts just like the offense has. But, I mean, right now I feel like the, the crosshairs are completely on the offense right now. And I if they don't figure that out, I don't – I don't know where this team goes. And I feel like that's why this week is so important. We talked about in the offseason, it's doable to go 500 in these six games without DeAndre Hopkins to get three wins. And the other two teams, you've got the Eagles in two weeks, and then it's Seattle, right? That's the the one after. And this just feels like a team with the Panthers this week where if you're not able to get that win – Mentally, I, I from what we've seen of this team, again, I know it's a new season, new team, but we've seen in the past the way this team has handled not only being down in games, but kind of putting yourself in a hole. I feel like if, if you don't win this game, I don't know how they, they come back and try and you know go against those next two teams without DeAndre Hopkins. I feel like that's going to be a really big hurdle mentally getting over themselves. Well, how about this in what Matt rules in his third season? Yep, and I, I I can't remember what the number is. It I think it might actually be zero. I I'm not sure Matt Rule has won a game yet in which the Panthers have allowed more than 17 points. Mm. I'd have to check, but I think every one of the Panthers' wins under Matt Rule has come because the defense has come to play. And if we're going to start talking about um, 
this offense getting off the schneid, that's a really important thing because you can't go and score 14 points against the Panthers and, and think you're going to win. You're probably yeah. not. And that's that's been the strength. Brian Burns is off to a great start, the pass rusher. He's, yeah. he's only behind Micah Parsons in terms yeah. of pressures. And keep an eye on Jeremy Chin. He, he was the yeah. guy. He was the poor man's Isaiah Simmons in that same draft. He's a player. He's a player. They use him in a lot of different roles, sort of like in Isaiah Simmons. It's by the way, did you see Micah Parsons was like in eight different spots? That was the graphic that way towards the end of the Monday night football game. Micah Parsons all over that defense. So the card it's not just the Cardinals the way they use Isaiah Simmons, by the way, for those who are barking and squawking and complaining about, you know, the role maybe that Isaiah Simmons has. No, there are other players that are tasked with similar job descriptions around the NFL. If you're that sort of athlete, if you're the Micah Parsons, the Jeremy Chins of the world, those guys are handling it. It's not too much for those guys to go out and execute and be difference makers, playmakers. So I thought the number that, that Darren was going to go with there was the 2-0 and Matt Rule against the Arizona Cardinals. Well, there's that too. Or the fact that the Panthers just snapped a nine-game skid, a seven-game home losing skid, that by the way. That sounds familiar. They just snapped, dot, dot, dot. And their last win, by the way, Carolina, until beating the Saints, beat the Saints, yay, uh, some people know what that's a reference to, the former governor. Anyway, moving along, <laughs> the, the, the other aspect of that was their last win before beating the Saints was against the Arizona Cardinals and Colt McCoy here in the AZ, if you remember that. That was one of the two I DOA do. games. I, I didn't write down L on my schedule last year. I wrote down DOA for the Detroit game and the Carolina game, which were the two games a year ago where they didn't have much urgency, energy, intensity. I, I feel like the last two years, that's all – I mean, other than I, Andy, um, I feel like that's all Paul has talked about the last two years since COVID started was where's the energy? Where's the. Well, it's been there at times and then other times it hasn't. And, then, yeah. you know, I you don't know, know, Paul, but, I, I had this you know. grand idea and I feel uh, like I remember. Yeah. Uh, Here we go. Do you think I can tell him or should I save it? No, go ahead and tell him. Oh. I, uh, I messaged Darren. We sit in the press box, but we sit probably 10 people apart from well, each other. I can't other. sit too close to you. So what is that supposed to mean? Nothing. It means nothing. Don't worry about it. Okay. Anyway, I messaged Darren during the game when Andy Isabella went in. I, Andy, and I messaged Darren. I said, if I, Andy, scores a touchdown, I will surprise Paul and pay him $17 on the podcast. <laughs> I see. Oh, but see, boy. now I'm, so I'm sorry yeah, I'm that feeling, I cannot contribute yeah, that. I can't, yeah, I I can't feel, fall through. I feel fairly confident. Yeah. I'm not sure that that's going to happen. That's why Even I feel okay saying it now. Well, Instead, he got quite an earful because he came back to the sideline and Kyler let him have it. And then after the Hard Knocks NFL Films cameras were no longer around, his position coach let him have it. So he definitely heard it. There's no doubt about it, stopping that route short. Um, what might have been a touchdown there. But you know what? I'll let it stand for the rest of the season. If I Andy okay. gets a touchdown, right. you'll go. get $17. Nice. And I'll go out and get coffees for everyone. How's that? I'll, 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 I'll pay it forward. How about that one? Around the horn we go. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, uh, should we start with the way the Cardinals start? Anybody have a theory? Anybody have anything that's plausible, feasible, believable as to what is going on? Because it's not for a lack of asking the question, oh, geez, uh, what's wrong with the team in the beginning of the games and the slow starts, right? Every single player and coach has gotten it, and not a single answer has resulted. So any theories and this one? I'm not sure, to be honest. I'm not, I'm not sure if this is the uh, more on the players or more on when you have that game the start of the game and you have those plays drawn up ready to go until you kind of adjust and see what the defense is going I'm I'm not really sure 
where everything is kind of leaning in that sense. Because there's no doubt, Danny, you're right. The Cardinals right now are losing the battle of the first 15 scripted plays. The opponent is definitely more effective when it comes to the first 15 scripted plays three games into the season. Right. The Cardinals are the only team in the league yet to score a point in the first quarter. They have a combined 13 points in Mm. the first half of their first three games of the season. So it's not working. And it's to me, it's not even just about the fact that they're not moving the chains on the first drive or putting points on the board. It's the fact that, yet again, this is a team where if you find yourself in a hole, they cannot get out of it. It's taking them so long to find that rhythm. Then they ended up having three drives with 15-plus plays. Now, again, that didn't end with any touchdowns, but it's just this team, it's it's as if if they don't get that first down on the first drive, they're stuck. They're stuck that second possession. They have to get that first down in order to really get rolling, and that's a problem. You can't – that, that, that's a problem. Well, and even the, their second drive, they did. They got a first down on their first play, and they were like, okay. They yep. three and out the first time, and they get a first down, and then they stalled right away. And I think there was a sack in there and a, whatever it was. Or, I, I, I don't know if there is a straight-across answer. I mean, first of all, if I did, I would go upstairs and demand a raise and then tell them. And by the way, you're right. That was sack number 100 for number 99, yeah. Aaron Donald. That killed and put him behind the chains. So, I mean, I it, it's so hard to, to I mean, I think there's a lot that's going into it right now. I, I, I mean, let's, let's look at that first three and out. First of all, I absolutely loved their first play. It, it, we, let's go ahead and smack the Rams in the face with their own play. Kyler under center, play action, roll out the other way, hit the tight end for eight yards. That's what the Rams do all the time. It was so good. Then you don't quite get the first down when you run it on second down. And then for whatever reason, and I'd, be, I'd love to know. Uh, you know, A.J. Green has one-on-one coverage. It's against Jalen Ramsey, though. Is that what Cliff called? Did they have a run called and Kyler check out of it because he saw that his wide receiver had a one-on-one, even though it was A.J. Green, who's probably past his prime against potentially the best cornerback in the league? I don't know. And see, that's the other thing that we don't know about when people want to get mad at what the play call is, and, and especially in these third and short situations and they throw it. We don't know exactly what was happening. We don't know if Cliff is calling a pass play, or and we don't know if Kyler's checking out of, or if he's calling a run play and, and Kyler's checking out of it. We don't know. Because you know what? To that point, what did Hollywood Brown tell us after the game, the post game radio interview? When I asked him about the deep shot that they missed on, he said Kyler checked into that, which was the good call. Great, great just call. Missed the- great look. Great read. Great attempt. To Kyler's uh, explanation, he let it go a little too early, and they didn't connect. But yeah, we'd all love to know. Because I will say I was standing behind Cliff Kingsbury that first third down that was incomplete as Jalen Ramsey made the play. And yeah, there was A.J. Green against Jalen Ramsey on one side. And then the other side, you had two or three receivers there. All you needed was two yards. And Cliff Kingsbury sort of stood there with his hands on his hips, sort of staring into the mezzanine level for an extended period. And He was so, just checking out the ring of honor, Paul. Just makes you, yeah, you know, and so it just makes you wonder. It does. And then, especially when Kyler Murray says after the game, and I quote, I think, was this your question, Darren, about the drops in the first half? That was my question. Because the Cardinals had five drops in the first half, which is more than any team has had in a single full game all year long. Think about that. So Kyler responded with, quote, I tell guys all the time, you got to be awake when you play with me, no matter what play, because I have free reign to do whatever, get into whatever. 
So when you sleep, don't think you're getting the ball because you can't play like that. Everybody's got to be lit up, locked in. I like that. That's what I want to hear from the quarterback is it's not just sitting up there saying, we're frustrated, this is not good football, we're better than this. Absolutely. It kind of reminds me of what you've mentioned a lot, Darren, when Cliff Kingsbury has seemed a lot more open about handling competition with players and things of that matter of, to me, I think of the same thing. If Kyler Murray is saying that to us now, I'd imagine it's being said many times in the locker room. And that's that's what you want, is you want your quarterback to hold his teammates and himself accountable. And he's right. Kyler Murray, every, every person in this building knows Kyler Murray's ability to scramble and make something out of nothing. So absolutely, if you're not open, you have to keep moving and find a way to get open. And you have to constantly be seeing what Kyler is, you know, where is he looking? Because you have to be ready for a quarterback like Kyler Murray. Uh, for me, it's funny. I like the fact that he mentioned that. And, and we're always, I, I never want to get on a guy for saying something interesting in a press conference. But I, it felt like something that it's good. I think it's good for the fan base to hear. The, the, some of the transparency. I don't, I don't know how it went over necessarily with teammates. I mean, are you taking it to heart or are you? And I guess it also depends on what he's referring to. Like, is he just mm-hmm. talking about, is he talking about a lot of people in general? Was that very specific towards, let's say, the, the Andy Isabella when he didn't follow through on his route down the field? James like, Conner not getting his head around maybe on a quick swing pass. Uh, Zach Ertz a week earlier didn't quite get turned around and in time and the ball went past him he got his hands up late it was interesting i i was the only one that talked to zacherts after the game in the locker room because everybody else was talking to hollywood and he took he i asked some general question about where the team was and he his first comments to me were all ripping himself he said i didn't i had a terrible game i didn't play well i let i got to make that catch in the end zone or make that catch and you know he was very much and then and then james connor declined to talk to the media at all like everybody mm-hmm. waited around his locker and then he got up and he wanted to get out of there so much that he didn't even put on it he had his hat and his jeans on and everything and he kind of took a shirt and walked past everybody and then kind of put it on as he was walking out the door because mm-hmm. he wanted to get the heck out of there I, I will say with him dealing with the ankle and being iffy during the week that I, I was surprised he got almost the entirety of the work at running back 50 plays and so yeah especially Darrell Williams when he's been given opportunities looked really good and I just thought especially considering a banged up James Conner who who I mean he looked ready to play there's no doubt and and he was the same hellacious self when he got the ball but you know Darrell Williams could have been a change up of a bit and maybe given him a bit of a break so I was a little surprised by that but going back to your point about the very first play of the game it reminds me of something that Drew Stanton said earlier today this game week going into Carolina on the Red Sea report, that what the Rams might do better than anyone in the league is that they're tendency breakers. And when you come in to play the Rams and you play them twice a year for X number of years against Sean McVay, you think you know the offense until Sean McVay breaks every tendency he has shown. So to your point, Darren, that first play for the Cardinals, what it do? It pretty much broke every tendency for the Arizona Cardinals. And I just wonder if there's something, because the best teams in the NFL, uh, they steal from other teams, whether it's actual plays or it's schemes or philosophies. I'd love to see more more pleas, if you will, on, on tendency breaking, especially if you're looking to get off to a quick start and you're last in the league in that department. 
to your point, Danny, uh, how about come out and just do something radically different? Whatever you're doing on that first play, continue something like that. Let's see more under center. Let's see three tight ends, whatever it takes. So, dare I say it, you don't get predictable to opposing defenses. I was hoping when the Cardinals lost the coin toss and the Rams deferred that maybe that was going to be the chance for the Cardinals to kind of get that fast start. Because we, we kind of talked about that of if you win the coin toss, because the Cardinals won the first two weeks and deferred, of do you kind of change it up? Maybe instead of starting with your defense on the field, you start with the offense. So the fact that Arizona started with the offense, it I was hoping maybe you know this is what they need, a team that has proven they – I mean, Vegas was – I know there's only three games, but when you're looking at the whole last couple of years, Vegas was more the anomaly of a team coming back, coming back from such a deficit and winning. This team has really struggled with that. So I thought, I was hoping that starting with the offense was going to contribute to a faster start. Alas, I was wrong. So is this, I mean, look, and to your point, we saw the comeback, but even Kyler said after the game, you you can't make a living like that. And even J.J. Watt said in his locker, and in the locker room said something effective, look, uh, we've shown resiliency. Let's not rely on it every week. Let's not be the team that needs to be the resilient team every week because it's not feasible and doable and sustainable in the NFL to be that team. Well, and we're sitting here talking about starts, guys. I mean, why did they go 7-0 last year? Because they started fast every game. They were ahead in all those games. It's true. And, and then they were able to have the balanced offense. What was most intriguing, among other comments, was when Cliff Kingsbury said after the game that, there was a whole portion of our play sheet and game plan we couldn't even get to that yeah, we that was and so because we get behind so quickly and all of a sudden you're not balanced and and maybe you have to go up tempo when you don't want to go up tempo or vice versa so you know he and, didn't I mean it was funny I asked him after the game about did you want to grind it out on offense a little bit to keep the Rams offense off the field and then that's when he he said he's like no we didn't get to that's not what our plan was. And it was funny because I think in a lot of ways the long drives did help them because it did keep the Rams' offense off the field. And if one of those first two long drives gets in the end zone, how, how different is that game? I mean, th- think about it. The game that you beat the Rams, uh, and we said it umpteen times, you ran it 40 times for 216 yards, better than five yards of carry. Why? How? Because you had a lead. But you also, to me, exploited a Rams liability is that they're not exactly a Ram-tough team. Aaron Donald, yes. Jalen Ramsey, yes. Otherwise, they're not known as an ultra-physical team. If you're going to line up in some power formations, you can run and blast the Rams, which is exactly what the Cardinals did in that fourth quarter. Remember that final drive week four a year ago where they ran a 12-play scoring drive? 11 of them were runs, and they took like eight minutes off the clock. So... Did a whole story about it. Okay, so you know, but you you weren't in that position to be able to do that. Although the game was thirteen nine at one point, and and the, if Zayvon Collins makes that sack, uh, yeah, I mean it was you know, yeah, there were three plays by Zayvon Collins that I'm sure he wants back. There was the sack, there was the, the near sack, there was they had the near sack, the Cooper Cup twenty yard touchdown run where he went towards the Cardinals' sideline while Cooper Cup was going towards the Rams' sideline. But he wasn't the only one. Wasn't the only one. Yeah. I mean, most of the front seven went the wrong way. Even Marco Wilson, the corner on the far side, who's supposed to be the last line of defense, was going the wrong way. Yeah, that's not and, and he was 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage. And then the other one was the Cam Akers' 14-yard touchdown run where number 18, uh, their receiver turned fullback 
came screaming off tackle with a heck of a lead block that took out Zavin and sprung the running back. Look, I mentioned earlier poor tackling, and I'm not just talking about those open field tackles. It's that sack with Zavin. I mean, Matthew Stafford, he rolled out and hit Cooper Cup for 11 yards for the first down, and L.A. goes on to score a touchdown that drive. Those are just opportunities you have to capitalize on. And and again, especially with the pass rush that I haven't seen a lot of. Well, and again, not not just the pass rush, which is funny because ESPN still has the Cardinals overall as the best pass win pass rush win rate in the league. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I don't if they are, where the two, is it going the to? Two sacks have come from one player. I know. Um but for me, it's not just that, you know, they went on to score the touchdown. It's like when you're struggling like this, those are the plays you need. You need somebody to make a play that's okay, you you can't necessarily plan for it. I mean, obviously, but you need somebody to go above and beyond. You need to make sure that Matthew Stafford doesn't get away from you. Or or if you're if you're Hollywood Brown and Kyler Murray, you make sure that bomb gets completed, whether it's throwing it a little bit better, Kyler, or Hollywood maybe even laying out for it to see if you have a chance to I mean, it was close enough. If he dies, does it? Does it? Do you have a chance? I mean, yeah. I don't know. Those are those are the things that you need. That individual play, kind of like you did in the Raiders game, where Kyler did it about seventeen times, where you have an individual carry the team for a moment through the rough times. And again, if Zayvon Collins does that, there's a yet another three and out for the Rams. They're punting. You're only down 13-9. You finally have the chance to take a lead if you get a touchdown. I just feel like the game totally would have been different if if that had happened. And maybe not. (laughs) By the way, that that pass rush win rate that has the Cardinals number one in the NFL right now, Mm -hmm. it's just a reminder that the analytics are nice, but they're a tool. Please do not rely 100% on the analytics. It's sort of like after week one when Patrick Mahomes was the eighth best rated quarterback in the NFL based on the week one games. And, Pro, that's pro football focus. Yeah, so and not ESPN. Yeah. So the, these are tools. Which, which is funny you're saying that because I'm pretty sure Pro Football Focus has the Cardinals as the worst pass rushing team or one of the worst. Yeah. So to me, the challenge was what Sean McVay said after the game when they asked about the Cardinals running 81 plays in the game, and and Sean McVay's response was, as I look for the exact quote was here, uh, just make them snap it one more time. That was his approach, meaning we're just going to let them take little chunks of real estate and we'll see if they can mount what we saw as a 19-play, 17-play, 16-play drive. By the way, that's some sort of historic stat for the Arizona Cardinals. Never before they'd done more than a 16-play drive once in a game, and they did it three times. Yes. So it They've just, already got four drives of, I think, at 16 least 16 or more plays, plays yeah. right? And they had four season. all last season? Yeah. Yes, I think and I think is it tied or already more two point conversions than last year? Right, we're at well, three. No, they had th- they had none the last two years. Yeah. Okay, either of the last three two this years. year. Yeah. So the whole thing just make them snap it one more time, quote unquote, from Sean McVay shows you what the Cardinals are facing right now when it comes to defensive philosophies from their opponents. They're going to run the soft shell, the too high safety, and they're going to keep everything underneath. They're not going to allow you the big chunk play. Cardinals had one. It was to Greg Dorch. By the way, it was with Kyler on the move out of the pocket. Hint, hint, maybe. I don't know. But, you know, that was the other intriguing thing was when Kyler told the media that, you know what, the Rams rush me differently than other teams. And every single Rams defensive player after the game, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, Bobby Wagner, 
the first thing they cited about their defensive game plan and the effort in the win was we kept Kyler in the pocket. They are hell-bent on keeping Kyler Murray in the pocket, the Rams, and they think if they can do that, they can win the game because Kyler has yet to prove to the Rams' defense that he can stay in the pocket and beat them downfield with a passing attack. I mean, when you look at this receiving core, was that the wrong game plan? I think that's what I would have done. Valid point. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and maybe that's why he targeted A.J. Green like he did, just based on the size. And, and, and what is A.J. Green that the other receivers are not? Six foot four. And so he maybe liked his chances just with that and just body up against against. I wish Jalen he would have thrown a little higher so that yeah. A.J. Yeah. Green could have high-pointed yeah. it. But. And it doesn't look like we're going to see A.J. Green, at least against Carolina. We'll yeah, go you won't there. have to worry about six so, four receivers. Yeah, so, uh, but again, that's the challenge to me. If you're the Cardinals on offense right now, how do you beat these soft shell, too high safety zones? And I think the answer is obvious. You got to run it, right? I mean, if they're going to pull a safety out of the box, you got to be able to run it. And I would think the Cardinals do have the ability to run it. When I look at the Cardinals' offense versus some of these other offensive lines they've already played, whether it's the Raiders, whether it's the Rams, Carolina's offensive line has been a huge liability for years. And I don't think they're much better this year. I think the Cardinals' offensive line intact is a strength. So can they mount that run game with a combination of James Conner and Daryl Williams and, and Eno Benjamin? You'd like to think so, but... Once again, Carolina's defense, to your point, uh, Darren has been stout the last couple of times they've played. And if the weather, if Hurricane Ian is going to dump torrential rain on the field. On Paul Calvisi, you mean. Danny Sarek pregame and Paul Calvisi during the game. You know, let's not make it about ourselves, but uh, Danny, I have it down on my calendar Friday after we're done with everything, all the content assignments, we have to go into the equipment room and check the media bag and make sure all the rain gear's in there because you're going to look like the guy from the fish sticks commercial, the fisherman on the uh, yes, that's I'm that, aware. that's going to be your up. Where is the uh, where is the bucket hat and uh, is it waterproof? You know, you is, know the what, wa- Paul, is it waterproof? It was on my to do list today to talk to you about. I know you have experience being out on the field in the rain because I was talking to Craig Greenlew yeah. about it today. I'm trying to figure out what to wear. Of do I wear the bucket hat? Under, I guess, my raincoat, rain boots. The rain slicker does have a hood. I highly recommend the hood. You might want to do the bucket hat and the hood. I'm just saying. Yeah, I might have to bring the bucket hat. Because, see, what you don't want, unlike the players, we have no ability for a post-game shower. So if you get on the plane and you're soaking wet or sopping, then guess what? You have five to six hours of that on the trip home, and it's no fun. And guess who gets to sit in the row right in front of me? Mr. Darren Urban himself. (laughs) Yeah, so... um, there you go. Um, last time we had a really bad one was at Miami, and Patrick oh, Peterson was, was laughing. That wasn't really bad. That was that horrific. Was, it was I, biblical. I actually felt bad for you, Paul. It was. It was horrendous. Wow. Yeah. It was. It was awful. Too bad Pat peed in because he grew up. He grew up like twenty minutes from there, and he kept laughing. He's walking by. What's the problem, Paul? He could tell I was miserable. I mean, there was, <laughs> so and it was bad. funny that Miami game. There was actually a couple couple times when it stopped raining, yeah. but a. During the game, and especially right at the end of the game, it was like, and the Cardinals were should have won that game. It was a miserable year anyways. Miserable. They made a couple of mistakes. Yeah. And I swear to God, the hardest rain came in like the last five minutes when it was all decided <laughs> yeah. anyways. It did. Jarvis Landry went off in that game, I remember. You get a bunch of garbage yards at the end. Uh, we're just avoiding uh, you know, what, what what is in front of us right now. Let me just say this about the pass rush. Um, guess what? J.J. Watt has two sacks. It's the Cardinals' only two sacks. Zach Allen has graded out really well, speaking yes. of analytics. And, and you know what? I think our eyeballs confirm that. He's yes. played really well. 
Uh, maybe there's a contract coming for Zach Allen in the next month or so. I don't know. That's just me thinking out loud. But the edge right now with the promotion of Jesse Lucchetta from the practice squad. By the way, you're not going to have any energy, intensity, urgency issues with a Jesse Lucchetta, which is, I think, another reason they brought him up. I mean, that dude plays with his hair on fire. We saw that in training camp. Yeah. Honestly, I think there's a correlation there. Um, but right now you have seven outside linebackers and well, two safeties. My thought with Lucchetta is is he's – I mean, Deontay Thompson is barely playing any defense. He was all about special teams. So you needed – if you were going to move on from Deontay Thompson, you probably wanted somebody for special teams. And, and that – when they drafted just Lucchetta, they're hoping – he can turn into a defensive player, yep. but they absolutely drafted him thinking he could be a special teams core player, and that's this is the start of that, I would think. And maybe your backup safety now is the one and only Isaiah Simmons with no Deontay Thompson. That's what I was thinking. Hmm. So what does that mean? What, what do you make of Isaiah Simmons? I'm sure you get that you're out and about, Danny, and you, you know inevitably someone's going to ask you about Isaiah Simmons. Out of Bed Bath & Beyond, checking out the new linens and saying, What's wrong with really, Bed Bath & Beyond? What about Isaiah Simmons? I, I don't know. could have been yeah. fries. Maybe you're at no, CBS. No, no it was I probably... Mean, I, do, I go to the stores. I go to the grocery store. You're making it sound like I would... I don't know. Never go there. Like, no, like I'm trying to. I'm saying you're just at this random. I'm more place of a Trader somebody, Joe's gal than fries. Okay, you're though. a Trader's Joe, and somebody yeah. comes up and says, "Isaiah Simmons, what's the deal?" Yeah, what is the deal? Go ahead. I'm just going to lean back and listen to your answer. <laughs> While she's checking out the cauliflower gnocchi, gnocchi, nah, gnocchi, gnocchi. <laughs> Nana Calvisi would be none too happy with that I know, pronunciation. I know the gnocchi guys bad. are ridiculous. Um. It's very interesting. His snap count in Vegas was 15. I believe it was 16 against the Rams, correct? Although, although to clarify that, there were way fewer defensive snaps. So he played a third of the time against the Rams, even though it was only one more snap. Still did not start. Nope. Um, even though he's announced with the starters. Very interesting, Over yes. the PA. Yes. Interesting. Um I mean, we, we've talked about it. I, I don't think I agree with. I know Darren, you've brought this up. I think it was on um, pregame on the radio. Of this is not a situation with Isaiah Simmons where he had a bad game week one against the Chiefs, and this is the result of that. The entire defense played poorly. To decrease his snap count from a hundred percent to now fifteen and sixteen in consecutive weeks is something that I believe has kind of been a long time coming. Um, I'm not sure we'll ever, as the media, get the full truth of is this have to do with coming and thinking you already had that starting role? Does it have to do with film? Does it have to do with leadership? Does I don't think we're ever going to know the true reason, but I don't think this is strictly play. Um, if that were the case, the way Isaiah played in Vegas would have increased his snap count this following week because he played well and he had that game-winning play. It is interesting to me that we hear in the offseason you've got this Starbacker, Isaiah, as Paul likes to say, the hybrid player. Hybrid, that's what the players call him, the hybrid. <laughs> What's so funny? Nothing. What's so funny? It's the it's the way you said that. I'm ducking it in. So <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying it's it's very interesting that to be told and have this expectation that he was going to be the key to this defense because teams were not gonna know how to line up against him and he has this skill set and now the team is not even really using him. It's just very interesting because that obviously with that expectations of Simmons affected the way you drafted and attacked free agency with your pass rush and with your secondary. And now I'm not really sure what his role is going to look like in the future. Okay, so we're sitting here a week from today. 
and let's say he doesn't play 100% of the snaps. Let's say it's similar to what he's been doing. Are we talking about this again? Well, what if when, when does it fade okay. as, a, as a topic? Well, speaking of talking, and again, what if Cliff Kingsbury says again that he practiced really well, had a great practice week? Because he said that for a couple of weeks running, but then the, the the snaps belie the scouting report. But I'm, but I feel like Cliff has also been a lot more open about the competition and why you know with Isaiah and Marco Wilson in preseason of his reasoning behind this. I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad practice. I'm wondering if if the way they're using him. Do you think is it harder for him to see what's going on? I'm I'm really not sure. Look, this is this, and there was the whiplash comment last yes, week. There was the whiplash, the, the whiplash. He's given us whiplash, which I, I think I translate that as to the boomer bust nature of his play. That he's had some great, unbelievable plays, but then there's been the bust factor in plays that Vance Joseph has cited as well. You got to bring the consistency. The coaches have to trust you that you have to be in the right spot at the right time. And enough guys, like after week one, there were enough people who cited leverage issues so you have to be on the right side of Travis Kelsey because that's where your help is on the other side and if you're not now all of a sudden he's got a free release and he's in open space and there's either a chunk play or a touchdown this has always been my I've, I've kind of followed this for a long long time and it doesn't matter if a coach says it or if a player says it I tend to believe whoever says there have been bad practices if somebody says there's been good practices I don't care. It doesn't mean anything. And and I, because I feel like bad practices is a catch-all kind of – that could be on the field, that could be in the meeting room, that could be you're not paying attention to what you're doing on the field in terms of some of the fundamentals. Good practices doesn't mean anything to me. And so when Cliff says he's had a bunch of good practices, when Vance says he's had a bunch of good practices, I, I just – that kind of bounces off me. Kind of Kind of, you know – the bullets off Superman. You no, know, I mean that. That's I've a good seen. point of of here. Oh my gosh, that like just clicked in my head of what you said. Um, <laughs> it, it that rings true because think of the fact that after the first game, the way that the Cardinals lost the Chiefs, it was practice wasn't good. We need better practice habits. We need a sense yes. of urgency. And it's like a catch-all phrase yeah. that isn't getting real specific, but it means well, something to me. Good practice doesn't yeah. mean anything. That's a problem, too, is if, if it's week one and we're already being told there wasn't enough urgency and practice habits need to change. And now through week three, on top of that, we're hearing from the quarterback of people need to be awake. What the heck is going on with the focus, yeah. whether that's during the week or out on the game right. day, that especially this early on in the season, what, where is the disconnect? And then the defensive side, when J.J. Watt says, and I'm quoting, you can't have miracle comebacks every single week. You have to play sound football. So it's sort of the inverse of what the quarterback is saying about the offense. And So to hit zoom out for a minute, um, guess what? This is all correctable. But it doesn't sound like it's a team that is completely locked in yet, which brings me to my working theory right now. How many Ooh. times? How many? I'm not going to put it under the hot take category. It's just a working theory. Maybe it's simmering on a back burner at this point. How many times have we heard it's a marathon, not a sprint? Is this team pacing itself? And it doesn't even know it's pacing itself. Is this team subconsciously just trying to stay healthy and stay at sea Are you level? Saying they're being an NBA team right now. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yeah, it's a great analogy. Mr. Basketball, that's a great analogy. Um, you know what? <laughs> a 
who cares about October, November, December? You know what? The NBA season starts on Christmas Day. And as long as we're in the hunt, now we can go ahead and go forward. I mean... As long as we're not mathematically eliminated, as long as we're not mathematically eliminated by Halloween, no one's going to give us credit for wins in September and October anyway, based on the last couple of years. So let's wait until, guess what, it's November and December, and then you're going to see, as I pound my chest, what the Arizona Cardinals are all about. You know what? I wouldn't go so far as to say that this team knows that they're pacing themselves, but you bring up an interesting thought of maybe this is going to be better for the team in the long run, seeing the 7-0, and 10-2 start last year and then falling off when it was important at the end of last season, unable to handle that adversity that maybe if they handle this now and they're able to kind of, when they get a lot of those players on IR, D-Hop who's suspended back, maybe that's when things get rolling, but I'm not sure if... It's their pace themselves without even knowing it, especially if you're talking about being healthy, because this team is not healthy. I, I I think I just literally, you know, threw up in your mouth. Prescient have I, I can tell the future. Oh, I just I just audibly heard fans who are listening to this. I heard their eyes rolling as you guys both tried to give some substance to we're going to pace ourselves. I, I'm necessarily giving substance i'm saying maybe if that's like if, Look, if they're gonna lose no, now pick up no, pick up steam at the back end no, no, but no, i'm not saying they're pacing you know, themselves darren, darren let me clarify i'm not saying it's up on the grease board number one pace yourself <laughs> i'm not saying it's an overt stated game plan no, what i'm saying what is I, subconsciously maybe this team is in that mode what i'm saying is that comes across whether it's even being suggested and even if if the, any of them are thinking it that comes a that that is absolutely lipstick on a pig type of analysis <laughs> right now because I, I feel like first of all I, I made the joke about the NBA but the difference in the NBA is there's 82 games and if you kind of tread and oh by the way you get eight teams in the playoffs and 10 teams qualify to potentially get in the playoffs so that that is not the case in this league and I feel you can fall too far behind. I've said all along, if they're three and three after six games and, and Hopkins comes back, then they probably have done what they were hoping to do. Now, when I said I hope they can go three and three, I was thinking a competitive three and three. I was thinking an offense that was going to be scoring twenty-five to thirty points a game, and yeah, okay, you, maybe you don't, you can't beat Mahomes, and maybe the Super Bowl champs beat you, and. There's one other game that, which is now looking like it would be probably the Eagles. Okay, those are tough teams right now. I get it. You don't have your best offensive player. But if they play like this, are they going to well, Seattle and winning? Are they going to Carolina and winning? Well, there's two things this team does. They win on the road, and they win in Seattle. So, also yes, true. I'm marking down a Carolina win despite the recent history in this series because you're 9-1 and one in your last 10 road games. Actually, it's because you don't want to think you're just going to get rained on for no reason. <laughs> you're darn tootin'. There better be a win if we're going to stand on that rainy <laughs> sideline for four hours. You're right. And then, number two, they always win in Seattle, just like last year against the last-place Seahawks with their backup quarterback. And it left <laughs> Coach Double Rainbow distraught after the game and the whole deal, and then they ended up blowing up the team and the whole trading the quarterback away. Is Russell Wilson done? Like, I'm watching him for the Broncos right now, and he does not look all that. Maybe maybe Coach Double Rainbow <laughs> knew what he was doing. Maybe, well, and, and you know how it works in sports. You better know your own players, yes, right? true. At any sport, any team, uh, the biggest fault is if you don't know your own players. For example, Chandler Jones leaving the Cardinals. Have mm. they regretted that yet? 
Probably not. Probably not, especially at that level, at that investment level. Yeah, yeah. Most definitely not. So, okay. But once again, you got to figure out, you know, and Cam Cox is over there on Channel 12, and I did this post-game hit with him, and he's all, you know, Dan, he's always asking for, give me an assessment, you know, give me a grade on the draft two hours after the draft is complete. <laughs> you know, give me I a, was sitting there when that question guys. was asked. You know, you know, the prediction stuff all the time. You know, Calvisi, what's your level of concern right now was the question, okay, after three games. And I'm trying to deflect it a little bit. I'm trying to get to some actual analysis. And he keeps hammering me with the level of concern. And I said, well, okay, the offense, I'm not concerned yet because I see I see the weapons. I see an intact and above average offensive line. I see running back talent. Guess what? You're getting reinforcements in the secondary. And Trayvon Molnar's coming along. Antonio Hamilton, who just tweeted out a video to go along with the best pair of safeties in the league. The inside linebacker spot. A little bit, a little bit of concern there when you're seeing the likes of Nick Vigil and Ben Neiman and Tanner Vallejo getting more snaps than Isaiah Simmons, and now what's the status of Zayvon Collins? And is he going to lose snaps if he's losing track of where he needs to be in terms of alignment and Simon? That's to be determined. But the interior D line I like up until Rashard Lawrence had a hand injury. Yeah, so, that's a concern. And I saw the same thing, Darren, with the cast. I saw you put on azcardinals.com. Um, so what does that mean? We don't know. But I do like J.J. Watt and, uh, and Zach Allen, as we've mentioned. It's that edge rush. The inability to get home right now. So, okay. Now, Marcus Golden has had a track record of maybe taking a couple of games to get into shape, get into real game shape, and then he just explodes and he goes off like on a six-game bender where he gives you a whole bunch of sacks. So if you're a Cardinals fan, you hope that's coming. Um, but, you know, I'll be honest with you. When you see, for example, a guy like Jerry Hughes, who signed with the Houston Texans and is now among the lead leaguers, league leaders in sacks, he has four, and he's right up there with the Micah Parsons and the Joey Boses of the world. And he's a guy, 12-year vet, he's just turned 34, I get it, but he got $4.5 million guaranteed over two years. And he's a viable threat yeah. off the edge you're right and and that's something this team could desperately use right now a proven veteran entity off the edge and that's what i wonder is that going to change everything else i can see you know what that can trend upward and trend towards a positive i think the unknown right now is and that and and honestly let's just we're in the trust tree right here on cardinals underground brought to you by pacific office automation just the three of us what's the football iq of this team and at times this defense, I'm not just putting, you guys know, I'm, I'm a little different from you. I'm not putting it all on the offense. I, I mean, when Matthew Stafford, the next-gen stat was his play-action rate was he was 10 of 11 on play-action for a buck 68. Cardinals are going to see a lot of that play-action, I think, from Baker Mayfield and Christian McCaffrey. I would think so. And so can they, can they read and react and be in the right place at the right time? Are they going to fall susceptible to that? Because... Matthew Stafford was very successful with play action against the Cardinals in this Week Three win by the Rams. Yeah, it's 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 not all on the def- on the offense. Rather, the defense absolutely has to play better. And again, you look at the schedule, and it really doesn't get much easier than what they've seen. We are looking at the offensive weapons that they're going to be facing. There's there's a lot that they have to figure out. I know we've touched on it. Is how much of this is personnel, right? How much of this is having to adjust the scheme for that? I think. I just think maybe the expectations of certain players was how you shaped this defense. And, you know, like like Isaiah Simmons, of I think that affected the way they attacked the pass rush or maybe the, or maybe the secondary and them feeling okay with the pass rush that they had because 
you had that dynamic ability with Isaiah Simmons and your pass rush. I mean, your top three draft picks and Trey McBride, MyJ Sanders, and Cam Thomas, you've had a collective, I don't know off the top of my head, maybe seven snaps. MyJ hasn't been active for a single game. And I know that they're rookies and maybe a little more raw, but you drafted maybe not so much Trey McBride um, when you have Zach Ertz and Max Williams came back, but Sanders and Thomas, you drafted these two players because you needed immediate help on the pass rush. And the fact that through three games we still have seen nothing, it's a little concerning to me. And I don't know if that's if that the expectation of expecting more from them was unfair from where they were to start their careers or what the deal is. But to me, the fact that you have Sanders who isn't even played a game yet I mean th- that that's why you didn't bring in a big free agent was because you felt good about your pass rush do you see and Darren this might be a note for azcardinals.com Calvisi Thank Consulting might have something do, for I you here appreciate that. on the Big Red Rage Max Williams we asked him about Trey McBride because it, nobody really knows much about Trey McBride obviously at this point yes he missed a lot of camp and, and he obviously hasn't had much regular season action. And I'm now quoting Max Williams, who was effusive in his praise. He literally got up on his on, on the edge of his seat and was was looking forward to answering the question of McBride. And he said, and I quote, I think he's going to be special. He can block, not just a receiving tight end. He can get down and dirty in the trenches. He's going to be special. I love the kid. He's awesome. He used special like three times. And it really it wasn't just media speak. He didn't have to give that effusive an answer about Trey McBride. It was really interesting. And and when you see the Colts with Jelani Woods is the rookie tight end who had two touchdown catches. He was taken in round three, six seven two fifty three, right? And he was a big difference in that Colts win over the weekend. That rookie tight end. I'm like, okay, especially if you're down in AJ Green. Maybe it's Trey McBride's time to shine in a rainy game. Let's just run a bunch of tight ends out there. First of all, was uh, the the edge of the seat Max Williams on? Was it this seat? Or was it the one I'm seeing? It was in Danny's seat. Oh, okay. It's the old marketing mantra. We'll sell you the whole seat, but you only need the edge. Got it. Um, I I I don't know where Trey McBride sits right now. I mean, I, I think, again, we've seen it with Isaiah Simmons, and I think we're seeing it with Trey McBride, and it's it's that whole that whole trust thing with coaches Yep. And and we've seen it for such a long time, Paul. Ken Wisenhunt was mm. very much like this with rookies. He couldn't handle playing rookies. Bruce, Bruce Arians used to say their rookies aren't ready until Thanksgiving. And uh, that was DRC back in the day. I always think of DRC, Dominique Rogers, Cromartie, because yes, in camp, DRC. in camp, you're like, oh my goodness, look at the speed on this guy in this corner, and look at him run with Larry and cover and and the size. First but round pick, even. We didn't even see him till once again, like thanks. It was like late November in Seattle, I think, is where he finally made his debut. DRC I, back in the day. I felt I, I, Beanie Wells to a certain extent. Yeah. Beanie Wells was going to have, you know, his knees got messed up, but. You know, they wanted to play Tim Hightower, and I love Tim Hightower, but Tim Hightower had some fumbling issues that Ken Wisenhunt got mad, and he still wouldn't play Beanie Wells a ton. And it's like, what? what? But anyways, I, I I understand where coaches come from in terms of, of the trust and all that, and you, you have to be able to believe in. And again, I think in some ways that's some of the problem with this team is because you're, you, you have X expectations – "Quote unquote," you know, whatever expectations you might have, X and Y, that 
we can win the division and we're going to do this so that we need to kind of be here, whereas it's not like we're trying to build up this team so we're willing to, like, give away some snaps while these guys kind of learn on the fly, whether it's Isaiah Simmons or Zayvon Collins or Cameron Thomas or MyJ Sanders. It's funny you talk about the Jerry Hughes thing and, and signing a, a pass rusher. I mean, one of the reasons Devon Kennard got released and put on the practice squad initially was because they wanted to keep all these young outside linebackers and they didn't have any roster spots. So I don't know who you're cutting or you're not keeping if you go sign a veteran. And I think that was part of the problem. Yeah. And you but, know, but now you're not yeah. going to use no, them. I get it. I get you know. So they're just burning up roster spots. And Jerry Hughes didn't even sign till like mid-May. So you know, it's I, it's going to be interesting. They've got all these guys coming off of IR. Yeah, you need roster spots. Somebody's yep. going to have to get cut. Yeah. If Hamilton comes back, is does that mean Christian Matthew gets cut and they try and put him on the practice squad? I wouldn't be shocked given how little he's yep. playing. But you know what? I make that known in the locker room as well. Guess what, guys? Tick-tock. Here we go. After this yeah. this week four game, there will be roster moves. There will be blood. Something's going down after this game. I do want to um, change my tune. I said a couple <laughs> weeks ago when you've got five running backs and oh, you got to bring players back, do you really need to keep Daryl Williams and Jonathan Ward? Because by that point, Daryl Williams was only playing on special teams. Yeah. And I would like to um, officially, not. I'm not going to say that I was wrong. Oh. I'm just going to change my mind and yeah. say that I'm not sure it's a running back who will get cut on the record. By the way, um, do you see where Marquise Hollywood Brown is among the league leaders in receptions through three weeks? So. Uh, you have Cooper Cup with 28, stinking Cooper Cup. And then you have Stefan Diggs with 27. Uh, Hollywood Brown has 24. Amon Ra St. Brown of the Lions, I probably screwed up that pronunciation, has 23. And then do you know who else also has 23 receptions right now? Give Christian me a hint. The Chicago Bears. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the entire Chicago Zing. Bears receiver crew has 23 receptions. Chris, uh, Cooper Cup is leading the league with 20, 28 receptions, and yes. he had how many against the Cardinals? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Four. Only a four. You're right. No, you're right. That's, that's, uh, and, they and, and Hollywood Brown, that, that comes from last week because he had six the first game, I think 11 the second. He had 17. No, you're talking about targets. We're talking about catches. Oh, targets. You're talking about, oh. Yeah. We're talking about catches. Yeah. Never mind. So this is the open mic portion of Cardinals Underground. Anything else that needs to be said that you, you want to have said? Do uh, you need to be heard on anything else? Any rants? Anything? Airing of grievances? Do you have any of the above uh, before I present you with one last piece of information here? I, I would just – it would be really nice to have this team be 2-2 two and two next week. Yes, Somebody asked me in the mailbag if the podcast – listenership went down after losses and i'm like <laughs> it better what? not I'll, what well i kind of said i kind of chide i'm like come on you're not listening to us but i mean let's face it every every all the content is consumed less after losses that's just reality really that's interesting because and i'm, I'm being dead serious about this on the sports radio side I've worked for people who actually said it was better Monday morning after a loss. Really? Because the listeners, the ire was up, the disdain and the angst was amplified. People were more apt to listen as to the criticism or call in and vent. That so that's interesting. That it would be the inverse and in some of the other content that's that's out there. Um, I'll give you a prediction this game. Like I said, I do think the Cardinals win. I think they win on the road. Um, and I think they do just enough. Once again, 
It's a marathon, not a sprint. They do just enough to stay sea level as they track towards the return of DeAndre Hopkins. But here's the other X factor, I think, on this one. If you remember the game against the Browns, and the Cardinals are 2-0 and against Baker Mayfield. Hello. Yeah, Kyle, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cliff and Kyler, 2-0 and against Baker Mayfield, 2019 than last year. And I still remember after the game. Well, Chan- does Cliff get one last year? He wasn't at that game. <laughs> that's true. He was on his that's couch. True. He wasn't even watching. You know who else wasn't in that game? Chandler Jones. Yeah, that's true. But what did Chandler say after that game? His big lament was, did you see how long <laughs> Baker Mayfield was holding on to the yes, football? Yes, I do remember that now. So, again, Carolina's offensive line, not good. And the fact that Baker holds on to the ball a lot, at least he did in the Browns offense. We'll see about Carolina if he's getting the, out the, ball, the ball out quick or not. But, uh, I mean, if, if I'm anticipating a breakout game by the edge rushers and, and getting some sacks by someone other than J.J. Watt, I'm thinking this has the potential to be the game unless it's just a ridiculously muddy track. And then who knows what's going to go on through there. But uh, I'm going to leave you with the power rankings. And if oh, you guys saw Jesus. this. Oh, Darren loves these. Because if you're looking for motivation, here, here's what I'm saying. I am. Okay. What's the Dr. Pepper commercials? Uh, Fansville, right? Fansville, Fansville. College football, yeah. yeah. So right now the Cardinals are residing, according to Pro Football Talk. This is their power rankings. Uh, they're in between the Bears and the Jets. In the power rankings, the Arizona Cardinals are rated behind the Bears and just ahead of the New York Jets. So akin to Fansville, I'm saying that's Loserville right there. So if you're looking for some motivation, a little added something extra, something super extra to put on the old grease board in the locker room, maybe throw that power ranking up there and then highlight the two teams around you. You're sandwiched in between the Bears and the Jets. Really? You know, that's not a bad idea, Paul. When open locker room on Wednesday, when we get that for the first time this week, maybe you should go in and print out those power rankings and plaster it in there. I feel like that's something Paul used to do in the locker room. Go around and really uh, stir stir the stuff. I used to. Have, I'd print out something in one hand, print it out, and then the other hand I'd have the soup spoon and I'd stir it up. You know what I mean? Just stir things up. A after bit. Uh, yeah. after we're off the air, we got to ask Holmes to play you the uh, Jeremy Bridges stripper DJ quote. <laughs> Whoa! What is this? No, no, no. Jeremy Bridges, uh, <laughs> love Jeremy, um, but he enjoyed uh, taking a few shots of Pauly Pencil Neck from time to time. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> Uh, by the way, my favorite Jeremy Bridges story, thanks for asking, was a Monday night game against the Minnesota Vikings back in the day. and he They won that. They won that. Right? Yes. And, and if you remember, the Cardinals were without the left tackle. Who was the left tackle at that time? Was it Valdir? <sighs> no, it would have been Levi. Levi, okay. Yeah, you're right. And, um, and so. Levi uh, Brown, for those of you who were in Dallas. Today. So, so Levi Brown went out. And for some reason, Jerry, Jeremy Bridges did not go in at left tackle. And he was. Not happy. And the Cardinals are getting beat. Whoever the backup was was getting beat by the great Jared Allen repeatedly. Yes. And Jeremy Bridges went up to, so it would have been Wisenhunt, right? Russ Grimm. Wisenhunt, yeah, coach. You know. So he went up, and he's yelling at them. And, and, and they were kind of like asking him to state his case. And he literally said on, on the sideline, he said, I'm going to fight that bleeping bleeper. I'm just going to fight him. Just let me fight him. And then coach came back the next series. Let me fight him. I will fight him. And then they sent him out there, and that's what he did. He basically did hand-to-hand combat against Jared Allen. I think he drew one flag for some sort of unnecessary roughness or dirty play. That's a great story. I've not heard that. And after the game, I went and found him. And, and I said, I, I said I heard what you said on the sideline. I mean, were you just trying to get in the game, or was that really your plan? He said, oh, no, no. Yeah, with a guy like that who's more of a um, – 
He's not exactly like a power guy. Technician. Yes. Speed, athleticism, length. He said, there's only one way to defeat a guy like that is you just got to turn it into a literal street brawl. That was always my favorite Jeremy Bridges story. Because he was. He had some nasty. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. When Danny, when he used to give me a hard time, I nodded. And I said, yes, sir. And And I walked away. Just like on this edition of Cardinals Underground. I just walked away. Brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.